0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> well, I'm continuing with the blood covenant. And we're going to have a look at step 6. Now remember this, that the steps that are, are, are outlined for us are the steps in the process of cutting covenant. The Hebrew word, "bereth" is the word that is used and it's descriptive, literally descriptive, of cutting a covenant where blood flows, making an incision. The life is in the blood. The symbolism being that when I cut or I make an incision and blood flows, I'm giving my life. My covenant partner is doing the same thing. And so I, I move to a place where I'm Losing my identity in order to come into an identity in union with my covenant partner. One of the greatest illustrations we have of this present uh, in the present time is marriage. And if we understand that marriage is a blood covenant relationship, it'll sort out a whole lot of problems that people have right now. You, there, there are too many people in marriage who are holding on to their own identity. They're trying to still be themselves and be married. It's not going to work. All you've got to do is have a look at those who've been married for a fair period of time. And, uh, you know, Joan and I have been married going on 32 years. That's a long time. She needs a medal. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's, as we look back over 32 years, we've changed. You know? Uh, and and the change, we'd like to think, is, is positive. But that's what happens when you interact, you change. But if you hold to your own identity, if you do not allow your covenant partner to change, and you try and keep them the way that you want them, you're going to end up in a divorce. Uh, by the way, marriage is not marriage because you live under the same roof. Marriage is not marriage because you've got a certificate that says you're married. There are plenty of people who, who for the sake of appearances, are living under the same roof, Christians, and they're not married. Haven't had a marriage for years. Some of them have never had marriage because they, they don't understand what marriage is. Marriage is dying to yourself and the coming together of the two of you in a new relationship. And you let go of your old life for the purpose of experiencing this newness of life. And so we need to understand that. Now, when we move into covenant relationship with God under the Old Covenant, and he has the principle, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46 tells us that that which was first was not spiritual but natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. God is speaking today, 1997, to a spiritually alive people. You became spiritually alive when the life of God came on the inside of you. You got born again. The part of you that got born again was the spirit man. Old Testament Israel never had that experience. Old Testament Israel never were called the children of God. They were called the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were never the children of God. You and I are in a better position. We have a better covenant established upon better promises. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says so. And in terms of that covenant, our relationship is different. They never were the children of God. They were the people of God. The body of Christ today, the church, are the children of God. We have a relationship with God. They never had a relationship with God. He is our Father. We are His children, sons and daughters. But that doesn't apply to the whole world. Not everybody in the world can say, He is my Father. I wish they could, but they can't. Because Father indicates a relationship. God is not Father to us all. He wants to be, but He isn't. Now, under the old covenant, God worked with them in order to give us some insight and understanding. That's why you can't dispense with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was good. The Old Covenant gave to us a foreshadowing, an insight, understanding of what God purposed and planned to do under a new covenant. It's called the Old Covenant because it has been fulfilled. It was the old covenant, and if it had been perfect, there would have been no need to change it. But we've seen from the Word of God that the Word of God says that because it was not perfect the way that God intended it to be, it was done away with, in that it was replaced by a new covenant. And the new covenant fulfills all of the old covenant. You're not bound by the Ten Commandments. You're bound by one commandment. See? And if I do love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my being, and my neighbor as myself, I will be fulfilling all of the old covenant requirements. I'm not going to slander you. I'm not going to defraud you. I'm not going to murder you. I'm not going to rob you. All of those things are fulfilled in the new covenant, which is a new covenant of love. But it's to a spiritually alive people. God lives on the inside of His people. He doesn't live in a tabernacle made of hands. That's what He says. He lives on the inside. Second Corinthians 6.16, God says, Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? As I have said, you will be my people and I will be your God and I will live in you and walk in you. Now, if you get some revelation of that, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the living God. You're going to be very careful what you do, you're going to be careful where you go. Because God doesn't stand outside. We're talking covenant relationship, and we're going to get into this this morning. Because we need to realize I mean, following Jesus, being a child of God, has responsibilities. Covenant responsibilities. Now, if I want to see what God plans to do, because our finite minds have difficulty grasping some of the superlative things that God purposes and plans for us. That's why we can't receive much from God. You think it's for me? Me? God would do that for me? Yeah, because He loves you. But I want us to realize we don't really believe God loves us the way He does. So if I want to see what God purposes and plans, I go back and I have a look at the foreshadowing of the old covenant. God worked with a natural people in a particular way. They were His people in the earth. They were the only people at that time who had any revelation of a living God. All the nations around about them had their eyes closed. They all worship gods of stone. I don't think it's any different today. God's people, although they're not Jewish, God's people are still a peculiar people. Don't worship gods of stone. We worship the true and only living God. Now, have a look at Romans chapter 2. And I want us to see this because step number six in the process of covenant cutting is making a scar. That's making a mark. The incision that was made in a person's wrist or their arm or their hand was once the hands had been bound together in covenant relationship and blood had flowed from one person to the other. In other words, the giving of life. The symbolism is there. Once that had been done, then the, the wound wa- had ash or gunpowder later on applied to it so that when it healed, it made a mark in the body. Stanley walked around with 50 marks on him. Covenant relationship. And anybody who came in against him was taking on 50 groups of people and they didn't know how powerful these people might be. So when you don't know the size of the enemy, (laughs) there's going to be a raid against you. You don't get into that situation very easily. Now, God works through us as His people spiritually alive today. And this is what He's writing here in verse 28. For He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. The letter of the law will kill. The letter of the law will bring you into bondage. Be careful of people who want to preach legalism. Legalism kills spiritual life. It doesn't give it. The Spirit gives life. The letter of the law kills. Now, verse 1 of chapter 3. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. In other words, God gave His Word to Old Testament Israel. And there was structure there, and there was order, and there was insight and understanding given as to what God required. But it was to a spiritually dead people. They couldn't be spiritually alive, because spiritual life only came through Jesus Christ. And He hadn't arrived on the scene yet. So God is working through them, and they were the avenue through which He brought in the Old Covenant, which is a foreshadowing of the New Covenant, Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that. Verse 3, "...for what if some didn't believe?" Well, quite frankly, so what? "...because shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect?" You mean because they didn't believe that God wasn't going to have His way? No. When God speaks, God gets what God says. That's what verse 4 is saying. God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. There's a miracle in your mouth. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if you don't like, as you're sitting in this congregation this morning, you don't like what you've got, you don't like what you feel is being dealt to you by life, have a look back at what you've been saying over the last days, the last weeks, the last months, and the last years. You will find that you have attracted the things that you're talking about. We'll never make it. We'll never have enough. Those are all things that speak to, uh, speak to the fact that you don't have a revelation of what God has provided for you. Now, that's not a rebuke. That's intended to help you. And if you find that you can't just see yourself having those things, experiencing those things, walking in the superabundant life that Jesus talked about, you need to go along and find out how to change what you're saying so that what you're saying starts lining up with what God has already said about you. Amen? Now, the scar that is made is a permanent testimony of covenant existence. In Abraham, the circumcision that was made uh, was in his reproductive organs. God says back in chapter 17 of Genesis, as he is cutting covenant with Abraham, he says, this is going to be to you and your seed in their generations. Not just the ones who are living at the time that you die, Abraham, but generation after generation after generation. They're going to have a covenant with me because of what we're doing here today. But we've got to realize something. Our covenant, as we've seen in Romans, is nothing which is represented by circumcision in the flesh. The circumcision which is yours and mine is the circumcision of the heart. You and I don't carry it outwardly, we carry it inwardly. And that which we reproduce is of the Spirit of God in a circumcised, out of a circumcised Spirit where the superfluous has been cut away. That which is not needed has been dealt a death blow. It's been stripped away from that which is real and that which is real can now produce and reproduce again and again out of the Spirit bringing true life. From a circumcised heart. Our circumcision is not in the flesh, it's in the heart. Now, a person who has, has a scar made, has, uh, th- there are two reasons for this. The scar, first of all, reminds me of my covenant commitments, my covenant responsibilities. I have committed myself in blood. And if I break that covenant, I forfeit my life. It's a blood covenant. And to other people who see this scar, it serves as a notice of the fact that I am in a covenant relationship. Now, step number seven, and I'm going over these relatively quickly because we're going to be dealing with them uh, from different points of view in a couple of weeks. But step number seven was now the pronouncement of the covenant terms. And I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. See, when you and I enter into a covenant relationship, there is a declaration that needs to be made. A declaration that needs to be made. Romans 10 verse 9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth, confess with our mouth, sounds like a declaration, the lordship of Jesus. Well, what am I declaring Jesus Lord over? Over my life. Over my circumstances. But I don't do it one time only. It becomes a lifestyle. When my circumstances become adverse, I start declaring the lordship of Jesus over those circumstances. When things get tough, that's when I start standing on the lordship of Jesus and apply the lordship of Jesus. Lord means head honcho. It means that he can turn that thing around and bring it to line up with God's word. We've got to learn how to use the name of Jesus. It's not just a swear word. Okay? Now, the covenant terms, the terms of the covenant are pronounced. These are the things that are called the laws that govern the covenant. When we talk about the law of the covenant, we're not talking Mosaic law. We're talking about the laws here of the covenant commitment. And they may vary, just like any contract has got terms of the contract. They are the laws that govern that contract. When we enter into blood covenant with God, there are terms. And remember that this is the way that God structures blood covenant. He determines what the blessings and what the curses are going to be. And He gives to us... A finished deal. Now, our role in that is this. We decide whether we want in or not. But we don't have any right to change any of the terms and conditions. He gives you a finished product. Now, let me remind you of what we touched on a couple of weeks back. A blood covenant, the life is in the blood, blood covenant relationship is going to require everything you have. In other words, your life. It's impossible to enter into blood covenant relationship and not be transformed. It's impossible. You can't meet Jesus face to face and not be changed. It's impossible. That's where you meet Him. Now, watch this. I get blessed if I keep the covenant. There are curses that are pronounced if I fail in any area of the covenant. That's what you've got in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we have under the old covenant, that which was first was not spiritual but natural. So, here in Joshua chapter 8, reading from verse 30, we're going to find that the whole of Israel The whole of Israel entered into a declaration of covenant commitment. Now, before we start reading, let me remind you, these words were written by Moses 40 years before. This is what Moses intended to take place when he and the the, the tribes crossed over 40 years before they started wandering in the wilderness. Why did they wander in the wilderness? Listen, they didn't believe God. Not because of sin. It wasn't sin that put them there. It was unbelief that put them there. They did not believe that when God said, this is your land, go in and possess it, I will be with you every place on which your foot shall stand. I have given it to you. They didn't believe it. They looked at Jericho. They looked at the giants. They acknowledged it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But! And right at that point where the but came in, they stopped believing their ability in God. And when that happened, they wandered in a wilderness in unbelief for 40 years until that whole generation of unbelief had died. And God said, okay, now, this is a time for believers. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who survived out of nearly three to six million people. The generation that came up Hello. (laughs) The generation that came up were the ones that went in. But they weren't born in unbelief. They made the commitment, we'll go in and we'll do this. Now, we're going to read verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man had lifted any iron. And they offered thereon burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side, the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well the stranger as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal." as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. So here's the picture. They've gone into the promised land. They've overcome and conquered Jericho. They run into Ai and get their butts whipped. They got their butts whipped because of sin in the camp, and God dealt with the sin. And they went back to Ai and took vengeance on it. And they move out beyond Ai, and now the whole land is open to them. And right at the place where 40 years before Moses had written, this was to be done, they obeyed the word of the Lord which had come to Moses. And half the people stood across at Mount Gerizim and the other half stood at Mount Ebal and they declared covenant blessing and covenant curses to each other. We will be blessed. Blessed will we be if we will hearken unto the voice of the Lord our God. We will be blessed here, and we will be blessed there, in our womb, in the fruit of our womb, in our land, our sheep, and all the rest of it. This is the blessing, as God had declared. This side over here say, we agree. Then this side over here start off and they say, these will be the curses that will come upon us and overtake us if we fail to be obedient to what God has instructed. And this side say, yeah, we agree. That's bad news. We don't want any of that. But this is what happened with a valley in between. And they're calling forth the blessings and the cursings. They are making a declaration of covenant commitment to God. God's people today need to make, need to voice, covenant commitment to God in all the land. This is right here at this place, this precious place, where in blood covenant cutting, where the declaration of promise of, of blessing and curses is made the animals on either side, and here they are walking in between those pieces as we illustrated a couple of weeks back. And they're declaring covenant blessing and covenant curses upon their covenant partner. Their covenant partner is doing the same thing. Cursed will you be if you break this. God do unto you this and worse if you break the covenant. Blood covenant relationship with God is a very, 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 very important thing. It's it's a serious matter. You don't touch it. You don't become a Christian because you pushed up to the front by your wife. You become a Christian. You commit yourself to a way of life. I have decided to follow Jesus. See. Turn to your neighbour. Ask him. Are you still serving the Lord? Not are you a Christian? Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Because you see, that's what you're safe to do. You're safe to serve. And I was wondering right at that point whether in actual fact this is where the exchange of gifts took place. This is where Stanley gave his goat to the chief. The chief says, what is the most prized possession you got? He says, it's my goat. I need this goat because I've got an ulcer and I I need the milk that the goat provides. He says, I want your goat. So he got Stanley's goat. He did, literally. And Stanley ends up with a spear with a brass design on it. And he says, this is not going to help my ulcers. But he didn't realize that spear was the key to unlocking Africa. And wherever he went from that moment onwards, before the Askaris would disappear into the bush with all his possessions, he had to go back time and again to replenish supplies. From that moment onwards, he could drop them anywhere he wanted to, and nobody would touch them. He was in covenant with this king. It was the mightiest nation in that area. And wherever he went, all they had to do was see that. And they said, he's in covenant. We don't touch anything. People who robbed him came along and tried to help him now. Completely different setup in covenant relationship. Now, step number eight is they eat a memorial meal. Now, this is what we do when I conduct a wedding ceremony. When, when, when they're having communion and, and the bride and groom start feeding each other. And then they drink, holding the, the goblet for your partner because this completes the covenant union. The loaf, which is broken and fed to the partner, is symbolic of that person saying, this is my body. As you you eat of that which represents my body, we become one. As you take and you drink of the wine, this is symbolic of my blood, which is my life. And as you drink, you become one with me because you're taking my life onto the inside of you. And we're starting a new life together. The old is gone. The new has come. I put it to you that each time that we take communion, we should be rededicating ourselves to covenant commitment, not just maritally, in terms of our personal commitment to God. That's why we we have it once a month here. Because people do it for... Religious traditional observance. And the significance is totally watered down. Perhaps in the days that lie ahead, as we really enter in and we we receive the truth of what we're doing. We might well go to every Sunday. But I don't want to do that for traditional reasons, because it's the done thing. Step number nine is they planned a memorial. They would go along, the covenant heads, and they would go and take a tree, and they would plant a tree, and they would take the blood from the sacrifice, and they would pour it over the tree. And you and I have got a tree, a blood-stained tree, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And its blood is always alive to us. Now, before we get into the new covenant... And there is a difference between bereth, which is the Hebrew word, and diatechi, which is the Greek word. The difference being, in bereth, everything that you possess, everything that you own, you bring, and becomes the ownership of your covenant partner. It's got a wonderful symbolism. But Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. And the word in the Greek for covenant cutting is diateki, And it means something a little different from the Hebrew. Because diateki basically means this. One does all the giving and the other does all the receiving. i got a feeling that's what happened in our situation. God did all the giving and we did all the receiving. But we think that's unfair. There's no way you can change it. That's the way that God operated it. And you have to learn how to operate in diatechi. But before we get there, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Because there's an incident here in Abram's life that I think needs to be considered, and it leads us into New Testament significance. The New Testament Covenant significance. I want you at the same time... <clears throat> well, we'll, well, we'll swing across there just now. Uh, Genesis chapter 22. Isaac has been born. I'm not sure how old he is. Some people would want to place him at about 30 years of age, because it's acknowledged or generally accepted, that at the age of 30, the Hebrew was then considered to be a man. Uh, His exercise at 13 was just a symbolic thing. Obviously at 13, there are not a whole lot of people who are manly at 13. But at 30, I don't know, that's not relevant really to what I want us to consider. However, I do believe it's, there is significance in what takes place here. And the significance lies in the fact that Abraham has his son Isaac, and God comes along and makes a demand of Abraham. I believe that in our lives there is a test of covenant commitment. I believe God checks us out to see how committed we are. I know this doesn't go down well with a whole lot of people, but I believe that that's the truth. Because if the principle is true, and I believe it is, that that which was first was not spiritual but natural, and God dealt with Abraham this way, I I think that there are opportunities that God would look at to see what it is that we, listen, really believe. Our test lies in what we really believe. Abraham, remember, in chapter 17, when covenant was being cut, Abraham was asleep. But through that cutting of covenant process, his name gets changed. He's no longer Abram, he's Abraham. And he is known as the friend of God. And we need to realize that that term friend of God is not buddy-buddy. Friend of God is a blood covenant term where there is commitment and the commitment is dictated to and governed by the covenant. But I think in God's heart he's asking this question, does Abraham really believe with all his heart? In covenant cutting, each party completely surrenders in loving trust to the other party. They're willing to bring their total being, their total life, their complete heart to the covenant relationship. Now here is a principle that I want you to hold onto as a thought what one partner to the covenant requires of the other partner, that partner can expect at some stage, perhaps down the road, to have the same demand made of him. See? Now, this is the test of covenant commitment. Do we really... Believe and trust the Word of God. Every meaningful relationship is built on trust. If you're married and you do not trust your partner, you do not have a meaningful relationship. If you're in business with another person and you do not trust your business partner, you do not have a meaningful relationship. You will always be questioning, where are they? Why are they not here? Why are they doing that? You're going to be checking out motives. All of these things. This becomes a playground for the devil. Every meaningful relationship is built on trust. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in marriages, in terms of the body of Christ. And I believe in the body of Christ in our relationship with each other. There should be so much trust that you have to know your character is safe with me even when you're not present. I hope you get that. I'd like my character to be safe with you even though I'm not present. Character assassination is one of the biggest areas of problem in the body of Christ. You get offended, you get hurt, You get angry, and you try and take revenge with your tongue. And you assassinate a person's character. The devil makes that kind of hay. Alright, now let's move away from that because it gets heavy. Okay. As I was meditating on this, I think the Lord showed me a principle here. And I think the principle is this. This is where the test lies. Are we prepared to give up that which represents our future? Are we prepared to give up that which is the fulfillment of the promise? Or is that fulfillment What in actual fact we are worshiping. Now, you're in Genesis chapter 22, or you should be by now. Genesis is Old Covenant, all right? First book of the Bible. Verse 1 It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here am I. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I'm going to tell you about. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, with the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went into the place that God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the donkeys, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Now go across to Hebrews, keep your finger there, but go across to Hebrews chapter 11. Because this is the picture, right now we've just read it, of God making a requirement of his covenant partner. Now remember the principle. What one requires, the other can, he can be expected the other to require of him at some time in the future. Hebrews chapter 11, reading verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now hang on a minute. We've read this story often enough. He didn't physically offer him up. You see, we often think that the things that God requires of us have to be an action. So we get bound up in formula for life. But in actual fact, God is not checking out the action. God's having a look at your attitude of heart. Are you prepared to do this? Or is this that important to you? that you're worshiping it. Here he comes along to Abraham, appears to him in the tent, and he says to him, I want you to take your son, and he emphasizes, your only son. We're not talking Ishmael. We're talking your son. The one through whom, in Genesis 17, on three or four occasions, I said, the fulfillment of the promises are going to be made in Isaac will your seed be. Not in Ishmael, in Isaac. I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to go and take him to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to offer him there. I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. I want you to sacrifice him. But God, what's going to happen to the fulfilment? What's going to happen to the? You said that in Isaac, I'm going to be blessed. If I kill Isaac, he's dead. I got a feeling that that night in that tent, there wasn't a whole lot of sleep. But the interesting thing about it, this is you're you're in Hebrews. Chapter 11, the interesting thing about it was that by the time the dawn broke and they had to move out, Abraham had settled the issue. He said, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know what you're going to have to do, but you're going to have to do it. If that means literally raising him, resurrecting him from the dead, you're going to have to do this because you told me that I was going to be blessed. You said, that's how my seed would be, and that's how my seed would be. And you said they would be blessed in their generations, and I believe you. Now you're asking for the... Sure, it's done. It's done. And if you have a look here, let's read on. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Where? His attitude of heart was, if that's what you require, you got it. There's nothing going to stand between me and you, God. Not even that which represents the fulfillment of your promise to me. Because you cannot go against your word. You've declared it, and you've said through him it's going to happen, and I don't know how you're going to do this. But you asked me to sacrifice him, he sacrificed. It's done. Now look at this. He goes on. He says, and he that received the promises, Abraham, offered up his only begotten son. But he didn't literally. But he did in his attitude of heart. He went to Mount Moriah with the intention of murdering his son. Look at verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And that means, God, you're going to have to raise him. I'll receive him resurrected now. He leaves the tent. He says, we're going. Where are we going, Dad? I'll tell you about it on the way. Did he tell Sarah? Not a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Send her off to her folks. Now, I want you to see this. Verse 5 of Genesis 22. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That which represents the fulfillment, Lord, this is what I've been waiting for. Oh God, I can't give up that relationship. That's what you promised. You said I was going to be married, You, you said that I would have children. You said I would have a family life. You said I'd have a future. You made way for me to go along, be able to go and get educated. This is all that I've got. My future is in this thing, God. You're prepared to put it aside. Oh, oh God. Why would you change your mind? Forever His word is settled. When God speaks, it's done. He's checking out. He's checking him out. He checks us out. Oh, Lord, you said this was going to be my portion. Now you want, I can't believe the devil. Get behind me. Yeah. It's the devil speaking to me about, no, this is the Lord. Checking out whether you really believe his word. Verse... 7, Isaac said to Abraham, my father, here's the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abram said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. See? A lamb. God will provide himself. One version says, as a lamb, speaking prophetically. Verse 9, Abraham bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife, watch these next words, to slay his son. He was going to do this with intent. The issue was settled. God, I don't know. You wanted a sacrifice? You got it. I don't know how you're going to fulfill your promises, but I'm not you. You are going to have to do what needs to be done. See? He's already told the guys at the foot of the mountain, we will return. See? And the angel of the Lord called out of heaven, said, Abraham... Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. Verse 14, And Abraham, having taken the ram, calls the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Interesting, if you've got a revised standard version, it says, In the mount of the Lord he shall be seen. Not talking about the ram, making reference prophetically to Jesus. Mount Moriah was the place where they tell us was a, later on a city was built there called Jerusalem. It was the same mountain on which Jesus was crucified. Now, here's the significance what one covenant partner requires of the other. I can expect at any time that covenant partner to require of me. God says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, and offer him. God has only one son. Abraham's standing there and he's saying, I've got a covenant with you. I've signed this, you initiated it, I signed it in blood. I've got the sign in my body. You put forth the terms and conditions, I agreed to them, and I said, I want in on this deal, and I've signed it in, but I'm waiting for you to sign. How does God bleed? Take now thy son, thine only son. And God, at some stage, is going to have to bleed. Because in the bleeding, he signs the contract, and then the covenant becomes effective. A covenant, a contract, only becomes effective when all the parties to the covenant have signed it. Now go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 in closing. Abraham, the father of faith, stands there and God cuts covenant with him. And he says, I want in on this deal. He circumcises himself as God required and he signs that covenant in his blood. His whole household get in. God starts requiring of him certain things to see whether he really trusts God. Do you really believe what I've said, Abraham? You were asleep when I, I cut covenant. I had a representative cutting covenant on your behalf. Do you really? I believe it, Lord. Uh, okay, we'll test it out. Take your son, your only son, and go and sacrifice him. And Abraham settles the issue in himself. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to have to do it. When Abraham circumcised himself, he looks down the avenues of time. And he says, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how God's going to bleed, but he's going to have to bleed. The day's going to have to come when he's going to have to sign this covenant. Look at verse 56. Jesus is speaking. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Abraham didn't have any understanding about Jesus being the Son of God. Abraham had no understanding of how God could take on flesh, live here as an example, and become the fulfillment of the old covenant. In giving his life, sign the covenant God made with Abraham. He had no idea, but he knew this. God has to bleed in order to make this covenant effective. How he does it is his business. But I see that day, there's coming a time when God's going to bleed. And when God bleeds, I rejoice because the covenant becomes effective and all my offspring will enter into the fullness of covenant relationship because the covenant now is operative. Your father Abraham rejoiced. To see my day. And he saw it with the eye of faith and was glad. He trusted God's word. When Abraham left the scene, he had one son. One legitimate son. But God said that your seed is going to be like that. Like the sand by the seashore. He never saw that. He never experienced that but he trusted God's faithfulness to His Word. Do you trust God's faithfulness to His Word? When the circumstances get black, do you trust God's faithfulness to His Word? When He seems to be leading you and directing you contrary to what you've had prophesied over you. I know God is leading me. I see Northern Virginia saved. I see it. I see it because I see a people being raised up who have an understanding of blood covenant, who are committed, who know that God can... I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know when He's going to do it. But those are not my considerations. With the eye of faith, I see it because He is faithful to His Word. It is not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Him. How's that word going to get out? Through a people who have a covenant commitment, who have been tested and tried, and they've been able to look back and say, I didn't budge. I knew God was faithful, and I've stood on His word, and heaven and earth will pass away, but His word will abide forever, and we will come through. That's what God is looking for. Covenant commitment makes demands of you. You can't get airy-fairy into this. You're either committed or you're not committed. You either know Him or you don't know Him. You either believe it all or you don't believe it at all. Covenant commitment. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it with the eye of faith and was glad. And they that be of Abraham, they they who are Christ are Abraham's seed and is according to the promise. If you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. In this generation, and all the blessings of Abraham that God pronounced over Abraham in that covenant cutting are yours to enjoy. Now, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, You're not in covenant with Him. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you do not have any promise for tomorrow. If there's anybody sitting here and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the time to get into covenant relationship with Him. This is the time to get committed. This is the time to start experiencing the superabundant life that He promised.